This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the Pediatric Research Podcast for May 2016. I'm Kerry Smith. It goes without saying that you can't study paediatrics without children. But just having children sign up for your study and collecting their data is only the first and most basic way you can involve them. How about getting them involved in devising the hypothesis or helping finesse the method? These approaches fall under the umbrella of something called participatory research. It's already used in studies on adults, but as researchers from the University of Utrecht in the Netherlands have found, it's lacking from research involving children. I spoke to two scholars who have just published a review of participatory research in paediatrics, Hanneke Hayes and Guylaine von Thiel. First of all, Guylaine told me a little more about what participatory research means. In general, what people mean when they talk about participatory research is that patients generally are actively involved in the research. But this term of being actively involved is, I think, quite broadly applied because uh, what active means and, and what the actions are um, uh, is used in, very, in a variety of ways. So sometimes patients are considered to be actively involved if they participate, for example, in interviews where data are generated to answer the research questions. So then actually they are just part of a qualitative element of the research as a whole. What we have been focusing on in, in this article is an active involvement that's more uh, directed at um, asking uh, questions in a research which are relevant to patients and designing uh, a study in such a way that it's most convenient or less burdensome for patients so that they are... Um, co-creators of the research project itself, so to say. And Ghislaine, staying with you for this next question, what are the benefits then of this of doing research in this kind of a way? Well, it is said that there's a, a possible mismatch between the research questions that are generally asked in, 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 in biomedical studies and the, the medical needs of patients. So uh, whereas doctors and researchers may think that they know uh, what is important to patients and what their uh, disease burdens are and which problems they face, it turns out that it's not always the case that uh, the research questions and the endpoints we formulate in studies are also the endpoints that are of particular importance to patients. So that's where patients can have a, uh, a valuable contribution in um, asking the right questions. 
Now, you guys were interested in looking to see what studies had been done using methods like these in the past, or or at least discussing such methods. Hanneke, let me turn to you. You've been searching for studies that did it well or even mentioned it at all, frankly. What did you find? Well, we find that, uh, in general, there's a great lack of uh, studies into participatory research. We found several reviews, but they all discussed another item of participatory research, and there are no comparative studies looking into what the benefits or the burdens are for children. So, in general, there's a lack of uh, good evidence where you can base your, your conclusions on, but... Uh, we found a lot of implying evidence and made an overview of the available evidence so other researchers can use this as a starting point for uh, setting up their own research. And you noted in your paper that there are quite a few methods available for people who might want to do participatory research with children. Can you give me a flavour of the kind of things people have done? Most of the things that are described have been done um, just to gain data. And they uh, did that in several ways. Uh, for example, observational methods. Then you just uh, yeah, observe a child um, and then you generate your data and then you use your data. But you can also, all these methods can be used in a more participatory way and then you can really involve uh, the children actively in your uh, setup or your, in your conduct of your research. And so you could get them to, if they're old enough, you could get them to write something about what they're going through, or if they're a patient, they could do a video diary before they meet their doctor afterwards, that sort of thing. Yes. Yes, you can use all these methods, uh, and each method has, a, has their own uh, pros and cons. And some methods are more uh, available for, uh, some, uh, for older children or for younger children or for children who are uh, good at art or children who like to write. So in the end of the article, we also discussed the mosaic approach. Uh, And then you uh, let the child choose which method is good for that specific child. So you have the best way for that child to answer the question you are asking him. But it sounds like there really isn't enough evidence to go on to make any suggestions about what would be the best way to approach a certain study. That's true. Uh, there's no uh, hard evidence uh, based on which you can say when you should really do this or you should really do that. And that's the reason that we uh, made an overview of all the available evidence uh, and of the pros and cons and the considerations you should take into account. So when you conduct your own research, you can look into this article to find what you should be thinking of when you include children in conducting your research. And could you give me one example, perhaps, of a study that that used these methods or one of these methods particularly well in your mind? Uh, A nice example is uh, children uh, with asthma. They used video diaries to look into the child's life when they had the greatest burden of their asthma and which moments they didn't take their medicine and what their parents thought about that and how they felt. And they discussed their video diaries with the physician uh, to improve the, the, the care for the, the child itself. But then the video diary is used to obtain data and not used to uh, help conducting the research itself. Um, Guilain, can I come back to you to ask, 
whether there's a lack of data for adult studies of participatory research as well, or is this particularly a problem for paediatric research? Well, it's definitely uh, a particularly a problem for pediatric research, but um, uh, in uh, adult uh, studies, there's much more experience. But also in that field, um, there is still a lack of good research and, and good data into uh, which practices are actually best practices. So we have a variety of uh, methods to choose from in adult participatory research, but also in that field there's still a lack of evidence about which methods are really achieving their goal and which are basically a waste of time and resources. And so how, I mean, I know that the, the evidence is limited and that's one of the points you make in the article, but how can you envisage ways in which children might better help influence the design or the conduct of the study and not just provide data? I think that uh, children are, from a certain age onward, able to reflect on their own uh, lives and possibly also on their own disease. Uh, and in that way, they can at least contribute to uh, generating hypotheses or questions for research. And uh, it can also be relevant in uh, answering questions of how to conduct a study. How can children be involved in such a way that they are able and willing to participate over a longer period of time, uh, for instance. Which aspects of a study uh, which may seem uh, not at all burdensome to adults are experienced as burdensome to children? We know that the burdens and the risks of research interventions in children do not linearly uh, dis decrease with age. So, for example, uh, young children, they are not as easily ashamed uh, uh, in certain study procedures as older children are. so um, And younger children may not feel uh, pressured or obliged to um, work with researchers or, uh, or for their parents to participate in research. Great, that's a really great point. And let's hope that in the future there are more studies so we can make this procedure better for scientists and for the children that they're studying. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think it's it's also our article is actually also a call for best practices. I think one of the main points is that we see that there are a lot of people trying to uh, develop methods and trying to involve children, um, sometimes inspired by the basic right of children uh, uh, of being heard, but also uh, because of the uh, the possible benefits they see. But there's a lack of learning between uh, all the reasons researchers of their own experiences and trying to really find out whether the method works, uh, what it actually does and which goals we are trying to achieve with participatory research in the paediatric field. That was Guylaine Von Thiel and Hanneke Hayes. You can find their paper at nature.com slash PR. Thanks for listening. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gays wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs> 